a text from somebody that said, I'm in a wheelchair and people always talk really loud to me. Like there's something wrong with my hearing. <laughs> wow. Oh, God. That, oh, geez. Wow. No, well, you know, the, the, people's heart's in the right place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, you're trying to be helpful. But. Well, I told a story a while back. I was on this jury. It was an assault and battery trial. And there was a blind gal on the uh, on the jury. And this one other woman on the jury lectured us all. No, blind people have intuitions about things. We need to take her opinion extra seriously. And I was like, for an assault and battery case? Is there any science behind this whole blind people have extra in- intuition that you can cite? Uh, and and just please be quiet. Boy, <laughs> if you've ever served on a jury, you will never try to get out of jury duty again because you understand how important it is for sane people to be there. Who is Ted Cruz talking to and in what setting? Uh, so this was on the the floor of one of these committee things. Ted Cruz was up on the bench. The Ted Cruz, the senator from Texas. Yes, uh, positive. It, Sean, the producer of the Armstrong and Getty Show, speaking. Let's identify everyone. Thank you, Joe Getty. Thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Uh, and he was talking to the the VP of. Who am I? Am I just a faceless, nameless, floating head over here? Well, pretty much. <laughs> All right, back to back to Sean. He was talking to the uh, Google VP, and he was talking to him about uh, the censorship of specifically uh, right wing content on YouTube. One of the companies that has been demonetized by Google repeatedly is Prager University. Dennis Prager is sitting here. He will be testifying on the next panel. Uh, Mr. Prager is, in my judgment a highly learned, erudite individual, studied and well thought on a great many issues. And in my experience, I've always found that I learn when listening to Mr. Prager, whether I happen to agree with a particular issue or yet or not. And yet, YouTube actively censors the content Mr. Prager is producing. Is it your view that Mr. Prager is somehow disseminating dangerous ideas or, or ideas that fit into the bucket you were talking about of violent extremism or, or hate speech? Uh, no, Senator. Maybe if I can just explain. Mr. Mr. Prager is a YouTube success story. Mr. T- Prager has more than two million uh, uh, followers, as I understand it. Um, Mr. Prager's, uh, and, and all of Mr. Prager's content is available on YouTube, the, 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 the main YouTube channel. We do have um, a very small percent of our subscribers who opt for what we call restricted mode. These are mostly institutions like churches or perhaps schools where there's certain um, more mature content that they choose not to have access to. Now, this is less than 2% of the overall YouTube watchers, but we do feel it's important that to give those those institutions that degree of control. Okay, uh, pause there, there if you could, because I, I find that pretty interesting, because um, I'm, I'm needing to put some sort of filter on my YouTube before I can ever let my kids go into the world of YouTube. But the idea that it would block out Dennis Prager's stuff is pretty odd, if you've ever watched any of it. Yeah. I, it's just a bunch of, erudite's a good word, but a bunch of, like, 400-level college discussions of the size of government and the role of government and that sort of stuff. I mean, it's... it's it, Right. One thing, it's not as controversial in my mind. I don't know how it would be controversial to anybody. Well, for instance, PragerU has had some... Uh, videos that are critical of uh, various uh, Islamic governments. 
and Islamism as a system of government. Harshly critical, and those have gotten banned as hate speech. And listen, Dennis Prager is more than smart enough to understand that explanation from that YouTube spokeshole, and uh, he rejects that explanation. Uh, YouTube has put a number of his videos, their videos, on the restricted list, and Prager says, we're living in America through the greatest assault on free speech in American history. If it is pro-America, if it's pro-Israel, if it's pro-religion, it's likely to be censored by Google or YouTube, he said. Interesting. Can I hear a little more of uh, Cruz in this dude? There is a small percent of Mr. Prager's overall content, as I understand it, less than a quarter of his content, that is deemed to be in that category of more mature. And so for that very small percentage, they will not have access to Mr. Prager's um, more mature content. Other than that, it is complete. And, th- and just to be clear, these are, this is content, for instance, it may be perfectly acceptable to watch, but for those, perhaps references to violence or war or rape, things like that. So that's the, so that's the basis. My understanding, just for the record, is, is that uh, PragerU has produced 325-minute videos and that YouTube has censored 56 of them, so roughly 20%. Among those that are censored in- include a video on the Ten Commandments. Uh, another one censored includes a video on the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, the restrictions are purportedly for blocking things like pornography, but apparently in YouTube's world, talking about the Ten Commandments and, and the nation of Israel is comparable and, and, and should be blocked. Respectfully, Senator, that's not right. So what I was trying to s- explain is... All of Mr. Prager's, those, those, the Ten Commandments, all those are available to 98% of YouTube viewers. 98.5, I believe. 1.5% of our viewers have, in, have activated, again, this restricted mode. Churches, um, schools, maybe libraries that don't want to have their viewers uh, uh, exposed to more mature content. The video, I believe the Ten Commandments video, for instance, contains references to murder and I believe potentially Nazism or World War II, something along those lines. There are other videos that have in that category, in the, the number that you reference, 56, whatever it is, that may make reference to rape. That's the reason. But they're not censored. They are simply, they're available to everybody who's using normal YouTube. They are not available to the small subset who have chosen to activate restricted mode. You know, I'd like to know more about the truthfulness of what he's saying. If it is true, I get it. I find the the idea that you can't, uh, that people who have that setting can't watch a Ten Commandments video because it mentions adultery, which I read from a different article on the same year. And hearing. thou shalt not murder, so it mentions murder. Right, exactly. I find that to be uh, laughable, ridiculous. Uh, on the other hand... I'd like to know uh, also... Uh, on the other hand, Jordan Peterson isn't lying when he's saying YouTube and Google and Twitter are screwing him over and over again. Dave Rubin, gay classical liberal, is not lying when he says these websites are demonetizing him and screwing with him. Ben Shapiro is not lying. It's happening on the left as well, too. Um, uh, Dave Pakman is probably the most famous example of a, a left YouTube commentator who has been having his stuff demonetized. And more and more, it's seeming like this is much more a corporate versus independent rather than a right versus left thing. Yeah, so this this guy you just mentioned, uh, I, I'd seen him before. I didn't know his name. He's got gazillions of followers, too, on the left. But YouTube 
funnels people away from him. He's he's figured out and it's trying to prove and lots of other of your smaller things toward the big corporations like MSNBC's website, Washington Post website. And again, uh-huh. it's not a right left thing. It's a giant traditional corporate media because there's more money in it. If you get everybody going to those where the ads, YouTube does get money from the ads and the millions of people go that way instead of dispersed to all these independent voices, there's way more money involved in it for mm. YouTube. Mm. So it's there's all kinds of different ways it's difficult to get other opinions out there. I would like to know if I'm at the library and they've got that filter on, because there's a lot of crap on YouTube that, like, uh, kids shouldn't see. Oh, yeah. And I'd like to know how much of that is filtered out along with Prager's Ten Commandments thing, because <laughs> I'm thinking there's a lot of stuff on there that's not filtered out that I would think, why is this not filtered out? Well, and the pervs and the scumbags of the world have gotten really good at fooling YouTube. They will have something labeled, you know, the Jolly Fun Time Hour. Right. And it starts in as that, and then the weird stuff begins. And Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, it's terrible. I don't know. The Internet is a, a net negative. We ought to end it. Unplug it. <laughs> or take scissors and cut it. I, uh, is that I, how it works? I, I've been saying for years I think it's a net negative. Right. There are some things I like about it, but overall, better life was better off before the Internet. Right. Unplug it. Right. Is anybody looking? You pull the plug. They got a battery backup? Yank those batteries out. Put them in a flashlight. Yeah, well. Now the oh, oh, oh I, this question because I still don't quite understand that. What is what's why why can't YouTube just say we don't like Dennis Prager, so we're not playing his stuff? Why can't they do that? Well, they can do that if they'd like, but I would ask that they be honest about it. They so, claim but, otherwise, but they aren't doing it out loud because they think it'll hurt their business. Is that why? Probably. Google it. Yeah, they don't want to. Uh, I mean, obviously, people like Ted Cruz would go crazy if they said, you know, on YouTube we uh, hate conservatives and we'd really like to promote a progressive view of the world and bring on the uh, the warm embrace of communism. Yeah. So there, 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 there. That is, there is that, and that's undoubtedly true. And Tucker's been on this other angle of Tucker Carlson on Fox about how the, Google's all about squeezing out the little guy, um, uh, independent voices out there, yeah. and and making you know making it a lot easier for the big corporate voices that all seem to think the same thing most right. of the time. Or their Chinese uh, communist partners, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. it's troubling. It is. Google's a, among the most powerful things that's ever been created on Earth. Yes. How that's going to turn out or how they're going to use it is interesting. Or how, how well our government's going to be at combating that. I don't know. I would say it's very, very dangerous at this point. And I'm not a paranoid, you know, a conspiracy lunatic or anything. I think Google is a very large, it's a big, uncontrollable, super powerful, dangerous thing right now. And we'll we'll have to see how it plays out. So we still haven't gotten the guy trying to set the record for sitting on the toilet. That's a compelling story. How much of, can there be to that story? Of heartbreak and triumph. Oh, um, hey, listen. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I want to get to this story at some point. Um, where's the headline? Because it's really well written. Goldurn it. What, what have I done with it? Um, oh, it's uh, uh, Craig Newmark who started up Craigslist. He's out. He did an interview recently, and and the one of the key uh, phrases was is profitable. Profitable. <laughs> Most online outrage is faked for profit. Awesome. Want to hear that? He destroyed newspapers, but that's fine. One more reason to unplug the internet. All on the way in the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty.
Armstrong and Getty Show. In a new interview, former Vice President Joe Biden said he would challenge President Trump to do push-ups if Trump criticized his age or mental state during a debate. Just a heads up, if someone criticizes your mental state and your response is to do push-ups, <laughs> it's not a great argument in favor of your mental state. That's pretty funny. Uh, uh, yeah. Joe he, Biden is a dummy. If he thinks I'm losing it, I'll show him how many push-ups I can do. That's, that's a pretty good point <laughs> Seth makes. Dummy. <laughs> dummy. Um, I was just reading about Elon Musk's girlfriend's workout routine. <laughs> now, you might wonder why I would do that. I didn't see coming. It actually fits in with something I'm about to talk about. But So she's a uh, model, actress, pop singer sort of person. I would guess and that, yeah. And in- incredibly hot. And, of course, to be incredibly hot, you have to have an incredible workout routine, right? Uh, some of the things she does every genetically day. genetically very lucky. Uh, I maintain a healthy cellular routine where Me I max- maximize the function of my mitochondria with supplements, blah, 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 lists right. all the supplements. You got lazy mitochondria, you're going to live a miserable life. <laughs> to help promote my ATP, etc., etc., etc. From that point, I spend two to four hours in my deprivation tank, which allows me to astroglide to other dimensions, past, present, and future. Mm. In the afternoons, I do a one to two hour sword fighting session with my trainer. We go over the fundamentals and work the obliques, core stabilizers, and triceps as full as as well as others. Naturally. To wind down from the two-hour sword fighting session, I spend 30 to 45 minutes on an inclined hike at 4 to 5 miles per hour. Then I spend 45 minutes stretching before heading into the studio where my mind and body are functioning at peak level. Wow. I've outfitted my studio with the highest grade of red light, which helps the body be happy. What sort of studio are we talking about? Music. Music. Ah, okay. Anyway. Spends an hour to two hours in a deprivation tank? Yeah, and then 45 minutes of stretching. So, yeah, if you if you got time and money to do this sort of thing, you could look better, I suppose. How many of your parents of young kids just wish you could get 10 minutes in the john? Yeah, no know? kidding. So, here is... Here is, speaking of being in shape and uh, losing weight and all that sort of stuff, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. Oh, no. New science on this. this oh, is, no. You know, so when we learned a year or so ago and they really nailed down the whole set point thing that our brain does, somehow our brain sets a weight that it thinks we're supposed to be and then pours all its resources and energy into making sure we stay at that weight. And if you get heavier, that resets your set point. <clears throat> And if you get below that set point weight, your body says, oh, no, we're below the weight. We've got to do everything we can do to get back to that weight. Slows your metabolism, etc. Yeah. Hangs on to way more calories than you need that day. Right. Because you're in, you're in danger. Right. Right. The food supply has been cut off, obviously. Danger, danger. And that's how if you're below your set point weight in one weekend, you could gain five pounds because everything you ate stayed with you. Everything. Yeah. Because it's, it's in, well, this is as bad as that news which was horrifying to a lot of us, I think. And this is worse? I think it might be. Oh, no. No. Unless I can control myself. Oh, How we evolved to be obese. Rage protein our ancient ancestors developed to survive starvation is now confusing our bodies. Rage protein? Yeah. That's right. (laughs) Give me some eggs! Overeating. White yolks, all of it. (laughs) Overeating, which many of us do every day or several times a day, eating more than we needed to per meal. Yeah. Puts a similar kind of stress on the body as starvation, triggering triggering a famine survival mode that makes us store fat more securely. So when you overeat, 
your body goes into because it's it's getting off track. It goes into oh no, something's wrong. We need to hang out onto all these calories and and, and fat. As when if, you overeat, when you overeat, and when you undereat, and when you undereat. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, oh, boy is right. So if I get below my set weight, my body goes into survival mode and hoards the calories. If I overeat, my body goes into survival mode and hoards the calories. I so wish I had a time machine. Oh, my God. Go back to teenage me. Have a long talk. Slap the French fries right out of my hand. Oh, wow. Wow. Just don't gain that weight. Don't ever gain it. And I've tried to tell my kids this, too, but what are you going to do? All right. Well, um, what, what would you have done, even if you knew this? Would you? You'd try I'm a, a little I'm a harder. i a bit of a self-indulgent fellow. You'd, I don't know. You'd try a little harder. But the If problem, I had known what I know now, I hope I would have done better. Yeah, but the problem is, and, the, and this is the problem for everybody, you gain a pound every two months for 10 years. You'd hardly even notice it. Right. Next thing you know, you're 20 pounds heavier than you used to be. Yeah, as your metabolism slows down. What's coming up in your news, Marsha Phillips? All right, we got a new Washington Poll survey that shows a majority of Mexicans... In Mexico, are turning against the cartels moving through their country. And an Armstrong and Getty exclusive, a couple gets terrified by Antifa on the 4th of July. Yeah, both of these stories are really interesting. Armstrong and Getty. Is, is that scientists at all kinds of levels are working as hard as they can to figure out how to combat our body's systems the way they evolved over the uh, thousands of years. Yes, please. Because um, that's probably the only thing that's going to work. But currently, this rage protein... you got to take some genes from skinny people and inject them in me. This rage protein, it, it acts as a metabolic break on our ability to burn off fat. So if you're below your weight, it, they put on the brakes... You're exercising. Don't burn any fat. Don't burn any cal- burn as few calories as possible. This guy's below his weight. We need to get him back up to his weight. Right. And it's all still that study that came out of The Biggest Loser, where they found out that all those people that were on that game show, they all regained their weight, all but like one person. Wow. I'm trying to figure out what happened there. Well, our bodies go into crisis mode to do anything we can to get that weight back on. But you're saying that does that when we overeat too? And and if you overeat, that's it does insane. It. <laughs> yeah. I give up. I give up. <laughs> Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, it turns out Mexicans are getting fed up with waves of migrants flooding into their country from Central America. According to a survey by the Washington Post and Mexico's Reforma newspapers, more than six in ten Mexicans say migrants are a burden on their country because they're taking jobs and benefits that should belong to the Mexican people. If you're a politician and you stand up in America and say, um, immigrants, or even if you go with illegal immigrants, are a burden to our country, mm-hmm. you're in big trouble. You're going to get you're going to get hammered. You're going to get hammered. And called a racist constantly. Absolutely. Which is absurd. But unless you're a racist. But this poll shows that in Mexico, Mexicans say, no, these people coming from Central America are a burden to our community, and we want them out. Because they're racists, I guess. Yep. Or they're afraid of Hispanic people or brown, the browning of Mexico. Exactly, Jack. It's they're fear of the, the other. The browning. The browning. Of- 
Yeah, please. No, it turns out that everybody everywhere doesn't like a bunch right. of people from another country showing up in their country and changing things. Right. Ju- it's just a completely normal reaction. And and listen, we don't need some sort of UCLA economist now to say, well, actually, Armstrong and Getty, what you need to understand is that this influx of millions of immigrants actually helps the economy on a macro level, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we know that. We get that on a macro level. Two problems with that theory, which you hear all the time from the left. One, a lot of that economic gain accrues to the guy running the meatpacking plant, who's got a bunch of super cheap illegal labor, or the or the, uh, the big agri companies right. that, that need that cheap labor. They're getting that economic benefit. And the second thing is, on a macro level in the economy, yeah, maybe it's a net positive. But you ask your local school teacher if it's a net positive, that they've gone from all English-speaking kids to now 25% of the class doesn't speak any English. And now all the programs for the gifted kids, the music programs, whatever, those budgets are gone. Now it's got to be poured into English as a second language. On a micro level, on a town level, a city, a state, it's enormously costly. You know where it's not happening, though, where you're not having the browning or whatever I it is? I do. You're in the, in the elite enclaves of the people that make these decisions in big business and government. Your neighborhood isn't changing. Your school isn't changing, so you don't care. The other day, I got a tip about a Sacramento, California couple who were terrified, they say, by a group of Antifa members on the night of the 4th of July. So I called Sean Santos, who told me that the couple, he and his wife, were leaving a fireworks show, and they came across the group demonstrating in front of the federal building in downtown Sacramento. 10 to 15 people, their faces covered by black masks, holding batons and chains, who suddenly turned on them. I was wearing a American flag t-shirt because it was 4th of July, and when they saw that, they just came right up to us, surrounded us, started screaming expletives in my face, F U M F or F America, didn't really know what to do. You know, I just don't want to make this any worse, so I just didn't react to them. I just tried to stand in front of my wife, keep her protected, and we just kind of walked through them. And they managed to walk away unscathed, but obviously terrified. Sean says he knew the group was part of Antifa because... They had their their signs with uh, their logo on them, and I actually talked to uh, the watch captain for the downtown area, and they were aware they were out there. Um, they hadn't been destroying it. They're getting violent. Um, they had actually, he told me they were about to send a, a unit out to disperse them. But actually, within 10 minutes of my confrontation with them, they dispersed themselves and left the area. But they were aware they were out there. Masked, armed vigilante gangs roaming the cities. And then a lot of West Coast cities are fine with it because they're lefties. Yep. Okay. Sacramento PD confirming the Armstrong and Getty show they had indeed been talking with Sean and they were aware that the groups were indeed protesting that night. I, I, I If you had told me, I mean, you have to give Antifa credit for this, I guess. If you'd have told me, look, you can be a fascist group that goes around beating people you don't agree with if you call yourself anti-fascist. Right. And I'd have thought, it's well, all that, it takes. That, that wouldn't work. People won't fool, fall for that. Yeah, they will. And they do, and the media still does. No, they're anti-fascist. Okay. Meanwhile, it turns As out... As I've said before, because they will print that without quotes around it in your big-time newspapers or your TV stations or whatever, the KKK calls itself a civil rights organization. Do you call them a civil rights organization? Or would you maybe put that in quotes or say, though they claim to be, blah, blah, blah. But no, you just suck it up from Antifa. You, you just... 
I'm sorry. Why would I be insulting? Uh, th- th- you just print Because it. you're Joe Getty? It is. <laughs> you are a friggin' moron! I would like to... Well, I wouldn't connect an act of violence because I'm not Antifa. Just because they call themselves anti-fascist doesn't mean they are, you numbskulls. Meanwhile, it turns out a broken heart can lead to cancer. A new study out today reports that a condition known as broken heart syndrome is indeed linked to cancer. The syndrome's a temporary condition that can be caused by stressful situations, and one part of the heart stops pumping normally, and that can cause the a rest total, of the heart. A, a total eclipse of the heart. I've heard yes. of that. Yes. Boy. Basically, you're absolutely right. The other half of the heart starts to pump harder. The Swiss researchers found one in six people with broken heart syndrome came down with cancer. And we're more likely to die within five years compared to broken heart syndrome patients without cancer. That's why you should go through life and never try love. <laughs> Wise advice, Positive Sean. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips here. I'm starting a Getty Show, oh, the that's conscience hilarious. of the nation. I'll finally pay this story off because it's stupid. A Belgian man sat on a toilet for five straight days last week trying to break the world record. 48-year-old man. Eh, you should try it when you're younger. <laughs> Seems like a young man's game. Yeah, it really it does. does. <laughs> Although maybe he's one of those guys who spent a couple of decades working in an office and realized, you know, if I don't act on my dreams now, they're just going to vanish. Right. It's a midlife crisis. I'm going to sit thing. on a toilet for days at a time yeah, a mid- like I've always dreamed of. It's a midlife crisis. I'm going right. to wake up tomorrow and I'm 50 and I never tried to break a world record. Right. Uh, he was trying to stay Let on the toilet. Think. I love sitting on the toilet. <laughs> he's trying to stay on the toilet for 165 hours, but only made it to 116. Because the record was 165. So he was 50 hours short. That's that's two days. That's, that's two more days. Not even close, my man. That's um, a week sitting on a toilet effort. His toilet Did he even try? Right. His toilet was set up so that his friends and family could come by and visit him during that's his attempt. uncomfortable. <laughs> he couldn't actually use the toilet in question as it was not hooked up to plumbing, so he had to take breaks when nature called. That seems like odd. <laughs> Sorry, I need a potty break. You're sitting on a toilet. Oh, not this one. I need to use a different one. You don't take a lunch break in the middle of a hot dog eating contest. Exactly. <laughs> That's pretty This funny. is a terrible story. He was allowed five minutes off per hour by Guinness World Records uh, rules. It's kind of like us during the show. And you can accumulate that time in order to build up enough time to take a nap if you want. Oh, to. you can bank time. Wow. Oh, so you These are the rules for sitting on a toilet. So, uh, I was very tired and my legs hurt, is the reason I had to quit. I think I could do it. I think I could do it right now. I refuse to stick with this story another second. Michael, go to Papa John's Pizza. I'm going to try to set a world record. Oh, boy. Oh, that's unfortunate. They have attorneys, you know. <laughs> yes. We have higher level fare on the way. Yes, indeed. The founder of Craigslist, Craig Newmark, says outrage is profitable. Most online uh, online outrage is faked for profit. Yeah. And some other provocative things. And I didn't realize he's uh, like a hated character um, in a certain quarter of American society. Okay. Didn't I'm know it. I'm interested in Maybe all that. Maybe you hate him. Find out next. On the way. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
this album from Gary Clark Jr. and is looking forward to his new one, which came out uh, this summer, and he made it all about politics in America. And oh, so, boy. I just am not interested in political songs, so that's the end of that. Mm. Uh, speaking of politics, Donald J. Trump out with some tweets, three of them that are interesting, including big rally tonight in Greenville, North Carolina. Love Green Rally, which will be aired on Fox, I guarantee you. Lots of great things to tell you about it. Best employment numbers. And I'll also talk about people who love and hate our country. That means he's going to go oh. off on the squad oh. at a rally with a cheering crowd tonight. So that I find that to be must-see TV. Oh, boy. I'll be there. Also, after a 10-year search, the so-called mastermind of the Mumbai terror attacks. You remember that? And they took over oh, that hotel yeah. and killed all those people. Closely tied to Pakistani intelligence. Has been arrested in Pakistan. So that that's an interesting story I, 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 will, I will read about. Wow. But here's the main tweet from, from Donald Trump. New poll, the Rasmussen poll, and that it is a good polling organization. As Trump says, one of the most accurate in predicting the 2016 election has just announced that Trump numbers have recently gone up by four points to 50%. Thank you to the vicious young socialist congresswomen. Vicious young socialist congresswoman? He said, America will never buy your act, MAGA 2020. Wow. Um, so he's at the highest number in Rasmussen at 50 last week uh, while we were on vacation. His NBC number hit 47, which was the highest ever in that poll. Which Wait is a- why Tom Friedman has a, uh, an article out today about how Trump is going to win. And so did David Ignatius in the Washington Post. Look out, Democrats, Trump's on a roll if you're not paying attention. Wow, wow. I thought he was going with CAG this time around. Keep America great. CAG 2020. I think it's going to be MAGA. Yeah. Even though he did that weird polling thing with the Giant rally. focus group at the rally. <laughs> yeah. Seems very unscientific. But if he's going to go off on the squad tonight, who knows what... Uh, well, we'd be playing the clips tomorrow, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, listen, I know I told you I'd do that Craigslist thing, and, and I think we can squeeze it in, but uh, just for chuckles, I was, uh, uh, you know, we were talking about the journalists and how complicit and or dumb they are in buying the idea that Antifa is anti-fascist when they are quite clearly fascists. And I went back just for fun uh, to grab some information on the brown shirts, Hitler's brown shirts, the S.A., And here's a brief description of them. And this is from the liberal uh, Wikipedia. Hitler rose up through normal democratic means, elections and that sort of stuff. Right. And when people were running against him, his group of brown shirts would run out and beat him down with sticks. Exactly. So you you tried to get a rally going against Hitler and people would come and beat you up. The primary purpose of the SA, the brown shirts, were providing protection for Nazi rallies and assemblies, disrupting the meetings of opposing parties, fighting against the military units of the opposing parties, they mentioned a couple of those, and intimidating uh, all sorts of people, especially Jews. A lot of them big, mean, gay guys, not that that matters anyway, it's just kind of an interesting historical footnote. Well, yeah, yeah, it, right, and then when he, when Hitler decided that the SA was too powerful um, and, and, and purged them and killed a bunch of them, he also said, look at that, turns out their leaders are gay, even though he knew it for years. But anyway, so they... Their job was to do exactly what Antifa does, and in the same way they do it. But you morons keep buying the idea that Antifa is actually anti-fascist, as they're fascists. And the way they duped you was with their clever, clever ruse of saying, yeah, we're (laughs) anti-fascist. And you believe them. You morons. All right, moving along. 
I was unaware that a lot of people in the newspaper business consider Craig Newmark, the uh, the guy who started Craigslist, as some sort of villain uh, uh, who uh, single-handedly brought down American newspapers well, it did. by substituting Craigslist for classified ads. It was going to happen. If he didn't do it, somebody else would have well, done yeah, it. Yeah, the idea that a better I- the guy who came up with a better idea is somehow a villain? Or just the idea that we were going to start doing this on the Internet instead of the newspaper. Right. When the Internet came along, it was eventually going to happen. But it did kill newspapers. Yeah, and so it's much a of the- shame, but... If you're younger, you don't, you don't know this, but if I was going to sell anything... Not that many years ago, you put an ad in the newspaper. That was the only way to sell a car. Right. Yep. Now, you would never or, dream or to find of somebody it. to work at your company. Now, you would never dream of selling your car in the newspaper. It would be an odd thing to do. Um, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not happy that mule dealers had to find a different uh, line of work <laughs> when tractors were invented. That was not the intention, but the tractor's a better idea. That's not anti-mule. Do you think it's they just... told the mule people to learn to code? <laughs> they learn to code, did. mules. Code what? <laughs> um, so I had no idea, but yeah. And he actually made an enormous gift to a couple of places. Number one, uh, one of your schools of journalism, City University in New York, that was very controversial. Because it's utterly when, bizarre to name a journalism school after the man who almost single-handedly destroyed local ju- uh, newspapers. Who's, who's said Felix Delicious Salmon, the CFO at Axios. That's an idiotic thing to that say. That is an idiotic thing, and Axios is full of smart people, but that's a dumb thing to say. Well, and Craig Newmark himself has said, I value journalism more than anybody. He is hardcore pro-responsible journalism. The two are not connected. Again, he's not anti-mule because he invented a tractor. Anyway, so I thought that was interesting. But then he points out, and he's absolutely right. We ought to talk to Craig someday. He's a good egg. Um, I don't agree with him on, on everything, but he's, he's a thinking man, and I think he's a decent man. He said, Americans are much more reasonable and moderate than what you might guess when you see a little Twitter war. But I'm guessing that the purpose of many Twitter wars is to polarize people, and in fact, we've seen that happen, because you can often trace some of the fighting groups to the same location. Outrage is profitable. Most of the outrage I've seen in the online world, I would guess 80%, someone's faking it for profit. But then you get people who are sincerely sucked into that that stream, that that, uh, that vacuum of outrage, and they join in, and they th- wow, look at all these angry people. I'm angry, too. There's also that weird thing that I that I even do myself. You just kind of go along with it for fun. You're not actually mad, but... Right. Yeah, so you got a mix of people involved. Yeah. It's the deliberate, deliberate greed heads. It's the people who get swept up, and then it's the trolls who are just trying to have some fun and throw around a little verbal abuse, and who am I to criticize that? But... <laughs> Uh, it's it's true. We get this idea that we're all uh, angry lunatics when I don't think it's it's fact. The other thing is, and uh, John Stewart pointed this out years ago, is a great point that the media's true bias is toward conflict. And it's if you are walking, you know, down the hall of your office, you're at a mall, you're in your school, whatever, fight, fight, and you see two guys throwing dogs, you're gonna watch. Maybe till it gets sickening or whatever, but you're going to watch, and media knows that. And so they're constantly trying to sell you this narrative that everybody's angry at each other, and that you're at risk. 
Because the evildoers are coming for your soul, and everybody needs to calm down. Well, will the, will the average person get tired of that eventually? Because I got tired of it many, so. many years ago. If I'm, yeah. I'm, I remember a time when if I was flipping through channels and you had two people on a split screen arguing, I would stop. Mm. Now, there's, there's no way I stop. That's Isn't the, it the opposite? That's the last thing I want. There's not a chance I'm even going to stay there long enough to see what they're talking right. about. Right. I can't hit the channel button fast enough. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe this is just a weird transitional period, and we'll look back on it, you know, with regret and shame. <laughs> I certainly hope so. Anyway, you know, it's uh, we a lot of new listeners to the Armstrong and Getty Show, and we appreciate that very much. Um, we absolutely have political beliefs and and policies we think are way better for the country uh, than, than and others. It's not like we lack opinions. We just think, you know, people... Uh, I grew up in America. I know how Americans are. We are, by and large, a pretty reasonable people. We trade ideas. We listen to each other. We're respectful to each other, mostly. And then we come up with, with what we think is a good answer. So, yeah, we have beliefs. We have strong beliefs around here. But we're, we're not permanently angry sure if you're wish. wondering what the show's all about. Sure wish I'd have come up with that Craigslist idea before he did. Oh, man. Or any of those great uh, Internet ideas. If you're the first in on any of those things, you're a gazillionaire. If you're the third in, you, you, it ain't worth nothing. You think people would click on pictures of naked girls? I'm thinking of <laughs> starting a website with that. Huh? Maybe. Very profitable. Armstrong and Getty.